Hey everybody, it's Alexander Dahl with Manifest Vitality once again. Uh, so I've got another interview ready to go. Uh, we'll go ahead and get straight into that one. Um, I don't really have too much else at the moment. Um, there's plenty more that are coming down the line. I've been doing interviews pretty much every day for the past month. And I've got about a week left to go. Um, so we'll just keep putting them out as they're ready. Alright, here you go. Alright, so I'm currently on the phone with Jim. He's another one of the musicians that reached out about the current interview series. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give him the opportunity to introduce himself. Hi there, I'm Jim Combs. I lead a band called Sensitive Chaos. And I also play in a band called Black Fox here in Atlanta, Georgia. Excellent. And I always like to kind of start at the beginning. So, you know, what was it about music that you uh, first kind of latched on to and really kind of made you feel like you wanted it to be a part of your life? Well, I, you know, if it was around music um, as a kid, my folks always played music. Um, but it was really uh, kind of later when I decided that music was something I really wanted to go after. Um, I had taken piano lessons in grade school and then did some viola lessons and recorder. And so I had a, uh, a lot of lessons under my belt, but um, I, it was really when a friend of mine turned me on to Rick Wakeman and uh, the music of Yes when I was in high school. And uh, I, it, it really captivated me and that led me to find out about synthesizers and keyboards. And so I had, you know, taken piano lessons, but it kind of got me reinvigorated around that. And I ended up building a synthesizer and kind of that was the catalyst that, that moved me forward. Nice. Uh, so how did you actually get into the process and the nit nitty gritty of like learning how to build your own synthesizer? Well, I was uh, I was lucky because there was uh, I I couldn't afford any of the synthesizers that were out at the time, but there was a company in uh, Oklahoma City called PAIA, um, and they made kits, and I knew um, how to use a, a soldering iron, and I figured well I can just get the kits, and that was kind of uh, kind of the, the starting point of getting the bags of resistors and capacitors and mm -hmm. LEDs and uh, learning kind of how they went together. And um, so it was really, a, a, it, back then there wasn't, the internet wasn't around. And so mm -hmm. you kind of had to do it word of mouth mm -hmm. and just, uh, you know, look in magazines and uh, read the ads in the back of keyboard magazine and stuff like that. So it was, a lot of reading, a lot of finding people that were kind of already doing it and mm -hmm. and then just kind of reaching out and finding help with these small companies that were doing stuff. So what would you say is kind of one of the more complicated aspects of actually building the synthesizer from like actually doing like the patch cables versus, you know, the oscillators like how, uh, what what about it uh, do you think is not so beginner level? Well, it, 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 it actually was, was pretty beginner level for me because it forced me into kind of learning the basics of synthesis and, you know, kind of uh, uh, signal flow. So starting with an oscillator and then running it into a filter and running it into a voltage control amplifier and then having uh, modulations around those things to, to make it. 
I think probably um, at that time, the uh, it, it wasn't the best synthesizer in the world. So it, it had a hard time keeping tune and being in tune across the keyboard. So, um, I, you know, what I learned is that uh, you really needed to have an understanding of the underlying electronics, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I've learned over time, but I didn't necessarily have at that time. Um, and uh, eventually graduated to a more professional synthesizer where a lot of that stuff was kind of taken care of um, out of the box. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it was that was a monophonic synthesi uh, synthesizer and, and just learning to play a monophonic instrument uh, is a lot different than playing a piano where mm -hmm. you've got, you know, a lot of different notes and whatnot. So um, I guess, it, 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 you know, really any any instrument that you start with is going to force you to try to decide, you know, am I going to overcome the all the, the, the things I don't know about the instrument um, and really practice and learn how to get beyond that to the point that you're making music that people look at you and go, oh, oh he knows how to play, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure, definitely. Uh, the, the talent side of it. Well, I mean, I guess either way there's talent involved. It's just different technical versus artistic, I suppose. Exactly. Um, so... When you approach, uh, like, a synthesizer, uh, like a store-made one, um, do you look at it completely differently based on the fact that you know how to do, like, the circuit bending and all that? Well, I, th I think it, it, it what, what you, you know, what you look at, and I, I think it's especially that modular synthesis has taken off uh, and is so big, you know, more recently in the past couple of years, it's really seen a resurgence um there there's there's that idea that you can really put your thumbprint um or your personality into creating sounds that may never have been heard before right by just mm -hmm. approaching it in a very um uh experimental fashion mm -hmm. whereas the things that are that are you know more um keyboards that that you know, kind of have a, a set of sounds in them, a lot of presets, um, even, you know, I've, I've got a pretty good uh, collection of, of keyboards now. And even the ones that have thousands of sounds in them, um, it, it, it requires a different way of thinking to really get into them to make things your own. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that the modular stuff forces you to create your own sounds, uh, you know, as, as the starting point, whereas other, other keyboards, uh, you know, you have the ability to start with things that other people have already created. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, uh, it, how you, how you put those together and it's not necessarily going to sound the same as the person that programmed it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but it's, it's just a different way of, of approaching it. Sure. Uh, that's very fascinating. Um, so getting back to kind of the subject matter, um, w once you kind of had that, the artistic side of it and you were able to play the thing, um, how did you kind of go about, uh, putting yourself like into a band or putting yourself out there to, uh, look for other musicians to play with? Yeah, I, um, 
I, I ended up, uh, in addition to that first synthesizer, I, I got a Farfisa organ and uh, a, a band uh, in my high school eventually said, hey, uh, we understand you've got some keyboards and we're doing some tunes that have keyboard parts. Would you like to join us? And, uh, I, I, you know, so it was kind of an, it was just an opportunity thing where I had equipment and they needed to add that that kind of sound to mm-hmm. what they were doing and that got me into it they were much better musicians than i i um was at the time they mm-hmm. had all you know been in been performing in uh, orchestra and, and jazz bands and rock bands and so it, it was a learning experience for me and i've kind of that's kind of been the way that i progressed um, always try to to find bands that are at a at a higher level than I'm at, sure. So that I can try to keep improving and um, uh, uh, add, learn to add, uh, you know, my whatever I do best in, in in these new contexts. So okay, and how how many bands would you say uh, you know you put your talent to before you ended up in the bands that you're currently in? Oh gosh. Um, Quite a few, probably, uh, probably, I don't know, 10, 10 or 15 bands before I wound up uh, here in Atlanta and, uh, and then uh, a couple before I wound up uh, in the current bands that I'm in. So, okay. And do you have kind of a, a typical genre that you lean towards or do you kind of just go where the wind blows? Well, it's it's interesting. I I started out definitely, you know, coming out of that um, rock and, um, you know, I was kind of late seventies or early eighties, so rock and then new wave, um, and then uh, progressive. Uh, well, not progressive, but alt alt rock mm-hmm. in the nineties. Um, once I got to Atlanta, I decided that I I really kind of wanted to do more electronic and um so kind of changed my direction at that point Mm -hmm. but then i i ended up winding up uh playing in bands that were kind of folk rock and um alt rock again and then uh black fox is kind of a another uh in the definitely in the rock vein Um, my own music tends to be more ambient electronic and uh more space space music mm-hmm. but then the bands that i play with tend to be more more rock so i get to do get to do um uh, a lot of different style of music excellent um so with with the couple bands that you have uh you know where would you like to uh see those develop into it's it's interesting because the, i've kind of i've kind of uh let go of pointing bands in a certain direction. And I'm more about recruiting or becoming part of a band where there are really interesting musicians involved. So for, for the band that I lead, um, uh, it, it evolves. The, the members kind of come and go on different albums. Some people stick around for a while. Other people will be on one record and then, and then go away and new people will come in. And I really let the band um, evolve as those players come in. My most recent record with my own band, um, 
featured somebody that um, was involved, uh, had had started the band Snarky Puppy, which is a real jazz influenced band out of uh, Denton, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, and and so he brought a real uh, jazz feel to uh, to to the record, which was great. Uh, to, you know, we had had jazz elements, but this really moved it in that direction. So just kind of went with it. And and then with the other bands that I'm in, it's really uh, either where the the band leader wants to to go. So started out in one band that was uh, heavily folk. Uh, based but then that band became more and more rock based as things went on um and then uh with a new this other other band that i'm in right now the band started out kind of very uh, kind of blues slide guitar based very swampy um uh, rock but now we've we've gone in a you know we've it's a big band it's a pretty big band now and a lot of the pop elements are coming out with a lot of vocal, you know, multiple harmony vocals and um, uh, atmospheres and, and whatnot. So it, I really just like to to go where the the uh, the, the talent wants to go or or where the kind of the universe is taking us. Sure, and. Um... So what are uh, some really prominent memories that stick out uh, to you, whether it be, you know, going to a show or, you know, getting your bands together? Uh, what are some really strong memories that you have? Well, I, I, I they typically revolve around live performances. So I, I remember that that first band that I was in in high school, uh, the first big show that we played, which was in a, you know, big auditorium. Um, was full of people and just that adrenaline rush of, of performing in front of that many, many people. Um, I remember another band that I was in um, where it was a, it was a s- small club and, but the band was just, it, I don't know, just something came together and it felt like, you know, the band was just floating. We were just so, um, locked in to to the songs that we were playing and the, the reaction from the audience. And then uh, in one band that I was playing in, we actually got to open for the Indigo Girls um, for a set of five shows. And so mm-hmm. I just that's probably the the biggest shows that I've you know been in and the largest venues and biggest audiences. And it was just great to be able to experience that uh, a little piece of what the indigos girls um kind of feel on a on a regular basis you know every night that they're performing they're getting this this huge energy from the audience and playing these really fabulous venues with with great sounds so it's really been uh, around those kind of uh of performances where i think things really really stand out Awesome. Um, so what are some uh, links where people can actually uh, take a listen to your music and listen to what you're doing? So my band is called Sensitive Chaos, and uh, we have a website that's sensitivechaos.com. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of that. You can actually find us on Spotify and all of the streaming um streaming uh, uh, venues as well 
got a new album out right now called Closer to Home. So check that out. Um, Black Fox is uh, uh, blackfoxmusic.net. And uh, those are the those are the, the best places to catch up with the music. Excellent. Um, and I always like to give uh, the person that I'm interviewing the opportunity to put out their last word. So just a message that you kind of feel resonates with you. Yeah, I think, you know, we're we're kind of in the coming out of the pandemic and maybe stepping back a little bit into the pandemic at the moment. Um, uh, I think that what what myself and uh, my music friends really strove to do is no matter what the situation is, find ways of connecting um, uh, to to audiences. And so whether it's finding an online venue where you can perform and get your music out when we're um, not necessarily wanting to go back into venues or finding a, a, um, a safe way to um, have a, a live performance and get back in front of folks. I think that it, the best thing is just to keep getting the music out in whatever way you can and just make sure that you're keeping yourself safe and, and everybody else 